you guys have your Bibles with you, it's open up to Isaiah 36. And in uh, Isaiah 36, we're going to see the narrative that Isaiah's been building to. So if you remember, we've been spending a lot of time, first uh, 35 chapters, and really from 13 all the way to 35, setting down the idea that we, we need to trust in God to get us out of our, our problems. We've got to put our faith in Him. There's nothing else that's going to help. Egypt can't get you out. All the surrounding nations, they're not going to be able to help you. Put your trust in me. So uh, payday has come. Isaiah 36, the armies of Shennacherib have arrived outside of Jerusalem. So they've already lost several of their cities. They've already had skirmishes. People have already been, some people on the outskirts have already been taking into captivity. The northern kingdom, Samaria, was conquered eight years ago. And now the biggest fear they had on the horizon is knocking on their door. It says, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Shennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So he's working his way to Jerusalem, fortified city by fortified city by fortified city until he's on the outskirts of Jerusalem. So the same power that has been conquering everybody, this world power of Syria, is now outside their door, banging on the door. The 14th year of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the first king after Ahaz. Ahaz was the king, if you remember, in Isaiah chapter 7. God was saying to Ahaz, Ahaz, I'm going to deliver you from the northern kingdom. Okay, the kings of the northern kingdom, Ahaz was afraid of them, looking for help from Assyria, looking for help from Egypt to deliver him. God says, no, I'm going to deliver you, Ahaz. And to prove to you that I'm going to deliver you, ask me of a sign, and I'll give it to you. You remember? And Ahaz says, no, 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 I'm not going to ask you for a sign. So Isaiah says, well, a sign's going to be given to you. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. Remember? Isaiah chapter 7, this picture of, of God's ultimate deliverance for the nation of Israel and uh, also God's deliverance for the problem they were in at the time. So now you have his son, Hezekiah. He's the next king. And the, and the failure of his father, the fear of his father that where he struggled in trusting God and he made all these deals with nations around him to protect them. Now his son's got to deal with dad's failures. Anybody ever experienced that in life? Either way, either you're the parent and your kids are having to work their way through some of your failures or you're the kid and you're working your way through some of your parents' failures. One of the things we can almost always guarantee is we're going to leave something, some kind of mess behind for somebody somewhere to deal with for us. So Hezekiah is in that place. Now, Hezekiah has been hearing from Isaiah, the same prophet that told his dad, hey, trust in God, trust in God, trust in God. So for 14 years, Hezekiah has heard Isaiah tell him, don't trust in the other nations, trust in God. So Hezekiah tried to make a deal with Egypt. And so far that hasn't worked. And he tried to buy off Assyria. 
So he knew Assyria was coming and he said, hey, I'll just send you a bunch of gold and you guys can turn around. So Shennacherib cashed the check and kept coming. Uh, why would I take this when I get it all? Uh, he's, he's coming for all of it. So he's worked his way through and now Hezekiah's facing, you know, what, what am I going to do? My back's up against the wall. Nobody's going to come deliver me. There's the army. Sitting right outside the city gates. There's the enemy looking right at me. So it says in verse 2, So the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. Now all these names, Shennacherib, I know it sounds like a deal at McDonald's, uh, something McRib, but, but it's not. It's a title. Shennacherib's a title. It's a title. Uh, that they ran out of Assyria. Rabshakeh is a title, probably chief counselor, Rabshakeh. Uh, it, it literally means his, uh, um, the, what's it, what's it? I want to say wine taster, but that's not it. Cup bearer or whatever, but literally, uh, those guys were typically the, the chief counselor for the king. So all the guy, all the names we're going to read are, are titles. They're part of their role, job within government. So, don't be a test later on Rabshakeh and Shennacherib on whether or not you'll be able to spell them. So Rabshakeh's got a great army and he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. That is the exact spot Isaiah came to Ahaz and said, ask the Lord for a sign. He's going to take care of you. Ask God a sign. And Ahaz said, no, no, I won't ask a sign. And and the Lord was angry with him because he wouldn't trust him. He wouldn't trust the Lord. So uh, Ahaz is gone now. His son is at the exact same place. Meeting with second most powerful man in the then known world. The Rabshakeh. He's sitting outside making decisions for him. He's, Rabshakeh's probably his, his uh, chief counselor, field commander, um, so in 2 Kings 18, 17, it says, The king of Assyria sent the Tardin, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh. You have a definite article in before each name, which probably indicates their titles. Uh, with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and they came to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they came by and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is a highway to the washer's field. So in the same area where Ahaz had his failure to trust God, Hezekiah is going to have his opportunity, his test. Are you going to trust me? What are you going to do? And, and like I say, his back's up against the wall. He's tried. He tried to buy him off. He tried to get help from Egypt. But there's, there is no help for him. He finds himself in the same place. So then... He sends a group of guys to go talk to him. It says, And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. Now, if you remember, you probably don't, but I'll remind you. In Isaiah 22, we had a prophecy that Eliakim was going to find himself in a position above Shebna, that Shebna was going to be demoted, Eliakim was going to be promoted, and here in 36, this is what we see, Eliakim uh, over the household and Shebna 
his secretary. So we have uh, just this little side note. Those are the three guys that are sent out to him. And so they meet him just outside the wall of Jerusalem. And Rabshakeh starts his speech. Now this is a great tool of the enemy. One of the favorite things of the enemy is to tell you how many ways you're going to lose. How hopeless it is, why you should quit. I think a lot of times our Christian walk is a question of what's it going to take to make you quit. What will make you give up? What will make you stop? What will make you turn around and, and throw it all? So here he finds himself standing. The Rabshakeh is going to do exactly what the devil does. First thing he says is, you, I don't know what you're hoping in, but there is no hope. In verse, uh, in verse 4. So the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest your trust? What are you hoping in? <clears throat> There's my army. We've whooped everybody. Nobody's been able to stand. We've whooped all the cities leading up to Jerusalem. We're going to whoop you too. Why, why even fight? Now, Assyria was so brutal. Uh, if you guys remember the prophet Jonah. Remember the prophet Jonah? He was sent to Assyria. And he didn't like the Assyrians much, so he ran the other way. Remember the story? In fact, he hated the Assyrians so much, he was willing to commit suicide rather than go. Right? That's what jumping out of the boat was. He didn't know a fish was swallowing him. He figured he's drowning in the storm. Well, if I'm dead, I can't go. But God has a way of circumventing even those plans. Jonah doesn't want to go because the Assyrians are horrifically wicked. The way that they treated their prisoners was so bad. I'm not going to describe it to you. But it was so bad that when they showed up outside of the cities that they were conquering, people sometimes people would commit mass suicide. Sometimes the people would just leave and they'd come to an empty city. Or they'd just lay down their arms and hope for the best. So after the first few brutal battles, they weren't having to fight too many because people were uh, so afraid of who they were. So just want you to get, like the Bible's full of David and Goliath stories. This is one of those. Let's see, Jerusalem's a 16-year-old kid. Assyria is the giant, waiting outside the city, saying, I don't know what you're putting your hope in, but it's misplaced. Don't you, nothing can save you from our hands. Verse 5, he says, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? Now, at the time, I'm sure Hezekiah is trying to encourage his people, because what do you think they want to do? They want to quit. They want to run. They want to do anything but try to fight against this enormous army and these horrible people, the things that they were doing. So he's trying to encourage them with words. In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Now remember, Assyria is king of the world. So either you do what Assyria says or Assyria comes and gets you. So Assyria has come. They come for the gold of the temple. They come for... The riches of the people, they come to take all the things that they had. And so as they are outside, he's saying, look, don't underestimate us. 
We're going to take you. No one can save you from our hands. There is no hope. Verse 6. He says, Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, that will pierce the hand of any man who leans against it. So here, Assyria is saying, Don't trust in Egypt. If you think you're going to lean on them, the staff's going to break and it's going to end up wounding you. Egypt is no friend of yours. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. Now, it's the exact same thing God told him. Don't trust in man. Don't trust in man. Don't trust in man. But he tried. He tried. And later on, a hundred, what roughly, I want to say 100, 150 years from now, there'll be another army outside of the walls of Jerusalem, led by Nebuchadnezzar. And the people are going to try the same old tricks. Well, let's trust in Egypt. Egypt is going to get us out of this. And everyone who hopes in Egypt ends up dying. Because Egypt can't. They would not be obedient to what God's word told them to do then. The question is now, will you? Will you trust me? When you got nowhere else to go, will you trust me? And then hopefully what that leads to is your willingness to trust me when you have other places to go. So here they are. Don't trust in Egypt. Egypt's not going to be able to get you through. Verse 7, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord. Now, you notice it's capital L-O-R-D, right? So he is referring to Yahweh, the God of, of Israel. We trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed? Now, here's where he's confused. One of the things Hezekiah did when he came into power was to remove the high places. Now, for every other nation, the high places was where you went to worship gods. For Israel, that wasn't the case. For Israel, the high places were where you went to worship idols. And so Hezekiah, in in an effort to get the people's hearts Right with God tears down those altars. Tears down. Now, um, Rabshakeh and Shennacherib, they think, well, your God can't be very powerful because Hezekiah just pulled down all the altars. So they don't understand. He doesn't understand, nor does he know um, how the Lord God works. Uh, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. So he thinks it's limiting uh, what Hezekiah has brought, that Hezekiah has destroyed these places of false worship. And then he comes to his deal, verse 8. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? So they knew that they had tried to reach out to Egypt for horse, right? For horse. The more horse, the more heavy horse, the more people you had mounted, the more powerful your army was. It was like the tanks, right, in the ancient days. But Egypt wasn't able to fulfill that. And he's saying, you don't have any horse, so I'll give you 2,000. But I don't think you got anybody to put on them. And if you did, who's going to stand against any one of our guys? How will you be able to stand against the mass that we have put? So do you hear how 
This is just exactly how the enemy comes at us. How many times you had the enemy whisper in your ear, you're not good enough, you can't do it, you're gonna, you fall short, you, you have no hope, you should just give up, you should just stop, you should just quit. That's all he does. And all God says is, well, just hang in there and come with me. I'll get you through. I'll get you through it. I'll bring you to the other side. So here their battle. The deal laid out for them. What are you going to do? How are you going to fight us? You don't even have any horse. Verse 10. Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up and take this land and destroy it. So now he's saying, look, I'm telling you, your God sent me. Well, that's true. God had sent them, but it wasn't for what they think. Your God has sent me. I'm here now. How many times will the enemy lie in a similar fashion, right? Well, has God really said that? Has God really promised this? Can you really rely on God being able to deliver what he said? So the same way you have Reb Shekha telling them, look, your God is on my side. He's standing against you. We're going to take you. You have no hope. You need to quit. You need to give up. You need to stop. And so Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, please speak to us in Aramaic. It's kind of an interesting part of the story. So I'm sure Rabshakeh is talking loud. You guys ever been accosted somewhere in public? Maybe you were speeding near a park and you parked your car and the people that lived in the house cross street come over and tell you what they think of you using every adjective they can come up with very colorfully. Maybe language you wouldn't use. And maybe you would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't have to shout. I'm right here. I can hear you. Well, now you have these three guys from Hezekiah. Now, they're thinking about the army behind them on the walls. And all those guys are standing there. They all want to quit. They all want to run away. They all want to go someplace else. And so they're telling them, whoa, what if you just speak to us in Aramaic? Because those guys on the wall, they won't know it. You know, speak, speak to us, change, speak to us. I, we understand your language. You don't have to, you don't have to speak in Hebrew. Speak in Aramaic. We understand it. Do not speak to us in a language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. So Rabshakeh decides, well, then I'm going to get louder. So he says, well, has my master sent me only to speak words to you and not to the men sitting on the wall? And then he describes their doom. Who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Now, if you have King James Bible, it's a little more interesting than that. However, we all get the picture, right? It's bad. <laughs> it's not good. And so he's shouting so the people can hear. So not only is Hezekiah facing a test, but all the people of Israel, they're facing a test. And these three guys who are standing there before this guy who says, we're going to wipe you out and there's no hope and you might as well give up. It's never going to work out. You're doomed, you're doomed, you're doomed, you're doomed. 
And then the question that resonates in the silence afterwards is, is that what it takes to make you quit? Is that what it takes to give up? Remember when the children of Israel left Egypt? And the Bible says Moses wandered around with them like he didn't know where he was going. And he ends up between Hahiroth or Pahiroth and Migdal. So he ends up between a rock and a hard place with the, the um, Red Sea in front of him and Egypt, Pharaoh, behind him. And Pharaoh says, what a bunch of morons. They don't know what they're doing. They're lost. Let's go wipe them all out. So they get up their armies and off they go. And immediately all the people, what do they do? Moses, why did you bring us out here to kill us? Do you know the end of the story? Did God bring them out there to destroy them? Did God bring them out there just for their suffering, just for their anxiety? No, he brought them out there to teach them that he is the one who can get you through. Now, nobody wanted to go through the Red Sea. They all would have rather found a better way with no miracles required. Just smooth sailing. You're right. Downhill both ways. You guys know how when you talk to your dad and you said something about how hard life was and he tells you how, oh, how easy you got it. When he had to go to school, he had to walk to school uphill both ways over shards of glass with bare feet because they couldn't afford shoes. None of you guys had a dad like that? I'm the only one. You guys missed out, man. So the, the idea, right? So, so here you have this, uh, the desire for smooth sailing and for life to be easy. But God knows, and we don't always understand it. According to Isaiah 55, his thoughts are above our thoughts. But God knows what we need. So if something comes to park on our patio or knock on our door, it's something that God will carry us through. We may not want to go through it. We may not want to face it. We may not want to have the battle. But we trust God, lean on His strength, right? Trust in the Lord. Lean not in your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him. What's He say? I'll make your path straight. I'll bring you through it. When David in Psalm 23 is looking out over the sheep that he's charged to take care of, and he is reminded about how much that's like his relationship with the Lord, right? And he begins the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but where do they end up? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Did he say he'd build a bridge over it so you didn't have to go through it? No. He just said he'd be with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, bow and worship this altar that I have built. And they say no. And he says to them, if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fire. You remember what they said? Even if you throw us in the fire, even if we die, we won't bow to your idol. So he's filled with wrath and he grabs them three Hebrew kids and he throws them in the fire. Were they alone? 
Who's in the fire with him? Right? One like the Son of God. He's in there. There's four. Didn't we put three? How come there's four in there? Because when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, when we find ourselves in the fiery furnace, when we find ourselves trapped in front of the Red Sea, or when we find ourselves closed up in a city with the enemy outside saying they're going to destroy us, God's promise is the same. I will be with you. This last, uh, it was a week ago, we had a, I think I talked about this before, but we have a math class, which I dearly love. I love math. That's sarcastic, in case you don't know that. And in one of our discussion posts, they asked us to take a picture of something in creation that reminds us of God and, and math. And one of the things I posted was from our trip to Israel a couple years ago, we went to Petra. In order to get into Petra, you have to walk through a seek, S-I-Q. A seek is basically a crack in a mountain or a crack in a rock. And some places, the seek, you can touch both sides. Just stretch your arms out. For the most part, it's relatively narrow, maybe, maybe three or four guys across. And this seek is the pathway that takes you into the Nabataean city of Petra. You know that if you ever watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, they have a part of Petra there that they they go into. So this seek, the point behind the picture of the seek was this: God's word promises doesn't does He doesn't tell us you're never going to have to go through hard things. He just says when you do, I'm going to give you a way through it. First Corinthians ten thirteen says, "No temptation has overtaken you." except such as is common to man. But God is able. He will not tempt us beyond our ability. He will give us a way through it. Mountain has a crack in it. When Moses was standing before God and he said to God, God, can, can I see your glory? God said, no man can see my glory and live, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you right here. I'll put you in this crag, this crack in the rock. And then I'll pass by. And as the, the afterglow of my glory passes by, that you can see. So we have a song. Rock of Ages, you heard of it? Rock of Ages. What's that, what's that line? Cleft for me. Let me do what? Hide myself in thee. Jesus is the rock. And the crack, the crag, the opening, that's for us. That's where we run into the strong tower. That's where we find protection. That's where we find our way through. So... He tells them, basically, shouts to those guys on the tops of the walls, you know, before long, you're going to be eating your dung. That doesn't sound good. You'll be drinking your urine. How can he say that? Well, there, he's standing right now at their water. Remember, they were meeting at the conduit for the water? 
So he's telling Hezekiah, I know where you get water into the city. All I got to do is plug it up and you don't have any. That's how you break a siege. He's, he's letting them know, hey, I can shut everything down. Every plan you have, I have already thought of, the Reb Sheka is saying. No matter what you do, you are doomed. Then the Reb Sheka stood and called out with a loud voice in the language of Judah. So now he's shouting in Hebrew. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. For he will not be able to deliver you. You won't be saved. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, Yahweh, by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me. Come out to me, then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each of you will, uh, of his own fig tree, and each of you will drink the water of his own cistern. Well, well, it sounds like a good deal so far, right? Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Well, that sounds like a really great deal, doesn't it? We should probably listen to him. It's a good deal. It's a better deal than sitting up here and starving, having to eat our own dung or drink our own urine. That's not a good deal. So we should take the deal. Do you remember how we started talking about Assyria? Was it about all the great deals they made with people? Was it about how they always keep their word? Was it about how they were always very kind to those who surrendered? No. But you know people will tell you anything, right? It was not that long ago in Germany they, they put out propaganda films about how everything that was wrong in their economy and in their life was the fault of those crazy Jews. And the Jews were always stooped over close to the ground, had long noses and looked all wicked. And they're always cartoons. So the kids would look at it and go, oh, Jews aren't good. Was it true? Well, since when has that ever mattered? It was all about, what can we get him to do? When Stalin took over in Russia, and they were complaining to him that their neighbors who were farmers uh, were too successful, they were making too much money, and they must have got all the breaks, so they want to get rid of all the wealthy landowners of the wealthy farms. So they arrested them all and sent them to Siberia. And all those people who had the poor farms, they got to where all the land was and all the stuff was. But you know the next thing that happened? After Stalin killed 20 million, they starved. Because turns out those rich farmers actually knew what they were doing. But since when does the truth matter? Does the same stuff go on today? The enemy's lies don't change. He's still throwing the same smoke screen he's always thrown. 
So he shouts to the people and says, oh, if you give up, we're going to give you everything you wanted. You don't have to die. Everything will be okay. So as far as I can tell in all of my research ever of Assyria, they never did that once. What they did do was line the sides of the road on their way back home with the prisoners stuck on stakes in one side out the mouth on the other all the way down the road so they shout out to the people so you see the test is not just hezekiah you got people they could all run off the walls and run over to the assyrians and hope for the best you got those three guys they could they could say the same thing go tell hezekiah this is never going to work you have Hezekiah's test, the people's test. Everybody wondering about what's going to happen. Then in verse, uh, then in verse 18, he says, Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you and say, The Lord will deliver us. Listen to this line. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Nobody can save you from my hand. You know, Nebuchadnezzar said the same thing to Rakshak and Benny. Exact same thing. Don't you know who I am? I'm the king of Babylon. No one can save you from my hand. Really? I'm sure every despot of history, whoever had a Christian in the stocks, said the same thing. Nobody can save you out of my hand. And you know, not all those people were delivered. But they had no power over them. The only thing they could do was send them to God. Which, last I checked, was the goal. No? That's where we're supposed to want to get. So if the worst man can do is get you the goal, what do we have to be afraid of? Don't listen to Hezekiah. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Samaria, just eight years earlier, they're destroyed. Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. Nothing is going to save you. But look what the people do. But they were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's command was, don't answer him. Let him say whatever he wants to say. But don't answer him. The enemy only has the power we give him. Do you have the voice whispering in your ear how you're going to fail, how you can't amount to anything, how it's never going to work out, just so we're clear, that's not God's voice. It's the devil who tells you it's doomed to failure. It's God's voice that says, yeah, I know, I brought you to a hard place. Can't go to the left, can't go to the right. And the only way in front of us that's the valley of the shadow of death. It's not going to be fun. But I'll be with you every step. Trust 
me. That's been the message for the last 35 chapters of Isaiah. I'm going to show you how to get from that Isaiah to this one. How to be transformed. How to be the man or the woman you always wanted to be. I'm going to show you how to, how to attain that. How to achieve that. But here's the key. you got to trust me. Even if I take you between Migdal and Pi-Hahiroth, and there's nowhere to go but figuring out how to walk on the water, trust me. Trust me. He is the God we cannot frustrate. We cannot doom. We cannot ruin. He is the God that is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. Don't lose sight of who he is. One of my favorite parts of the story of David and Goliath is Goliath yelling, what is, why are you sending me this little dog? This little lap dog. All I got to do is stomp on him and he's gone. And David responding to him, you uncircumcised Philistine. Some, I'm going to work that into my table of insults someday. <laughs> you uncircumcised Philistine. But you know the next thing the Bible says? David ran at the giant. He wasn't shirking back. He was like, There's the valley of the shadow of death. There's the Red Sea. There's the fiery furnace. But I'm not afraid. And he ran to him. Because he knew in whom he had believed. And he was persuaded that God was able to keep him to that day. So the people, they were silent. They don't respond. The news is bad. About as bad as it could be. The army is somewhere in the neighborhood of 185,000 soldiers. That's a lot of bad guys. Jerusalem, I don't know if it has 185,000 people in it. And then you're there, you're talking about bakers. You're talking about guys making bagels. You're talking about quarrymen. You're not talking about 185,000 guys in the army. So here they are facing this foe. It says in verse 22 Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn. So what's that signify? Hezekiah knows bad news. When he sees them coming and their clothes are in rags, bad news. He's not going to make a deal. And he finds himself where many people had been before. Many. Think of... Joshua sitting outside of Jericho, city that had never been conquered. 
while the while the peas on the other side of the wall and French accents are telling them you can't take this place. You guys haven't seen Veggie Tales, Joshua? Oh my gosh, you gotta watch that. It's hilarious. What's the point? You, you can't do this. Do you hear the lies? You can't do this. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that can be accomplished. And it's true. There's nothing you can do. Who's going to win this battle? When we come to Revelation chapter 19, the battle of Armageddon, the final battle against good versus evil, who's going to win that battle? Does he need you? Do you have to even put your hand to a sword? Grab a gun? He does not need you at all. The Bible says he's going to tread the, the winepress of the grapes of wrath from Basra to Jerusalem. And the blood will flow to the horse's bridle. And we're not there. God is able to deliver. And he is able to make you strong enough for the valley in front of you. And he is able to encourage you even in the flames of the fire. He's able to do it all. So they come running to Hezekiah with their clothes torn. The news is bad. And told them the words of Rabshakeh. Here is what Rabshakeh says. Rabshakeh says that there is no hope. Rabshakeh says that he's... He's going to destroy us. Rabshakeh says that, that we're in trouble. We're going to have to, to eat our own dung and drink our own urine. That seems bad. It's not going to be good. What are we going to do? There's no way for us to be delivered. In chapter 37, verse 1, it says, As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Where do you go when you're in trouble? Hezekiah tears his clothes. Bad news. Puts on sackcloth. That means he took off his crown. He took off his fancy robes. He took off all the things that made him king. He put on sackcloth and he went into the house of God. And he knelt there and prayed. And that's what we'll look at next week. You find yourself in that place. That is the only weapon you have. The only thing God gave us to fight with. The understanding that it is always too soon to quit. That we want to keep going. And that he will give us the strength to do it. There's a verse in the Bible. I always remind myself of. When I think things are really bad. The verse says that. If you have run with the footman. And you are wearied. How will you run with the horses? And God's point is. Always too soon to quit. This isn't the pinnacle or the peak of our abilities. 
It is, however, the pinnacle or the peak of the enemy. That's all he can do. All he's got is words. He uses words to get us to quit all the time. But if we, like Hezekiah, will humble ourselves and pray, God says he'll be with us. I will never leave you or have I not commanded be strong and of great courage. Don't be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity tonight we have to to look at your word, God. To come before your word. Lord, I pray, God, that your word would breathe uh, just the encouragement that we need to say, I'm going to stay in the fight. I'm going to continue the battle. Next week we see not only Hezekiah pray, but God answer. So Lord, I pray that, that, that you would be with us. A variety of people here I know that are going through their own valley of the shadow of death. Be their strength, be their shield. As Abraham said, be their exceedingly great reward. All we need is Jesus. That's all we need. Everything else is icing on the cake. So God, I pray that each one here today would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they belong to you. And that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not height. Not depth. Nor any created thing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yea, we are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For God is able. So, Lord, we look to you. When we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, help us find the seek, the pass, the way through. And as we walk through that place of scary shadows and fears, may we as the psalmist reach up for your hand and say, I know you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And even here in the presence of mine enemies, you have set a table. Things I need, I have from you. My cup overflows. So God, we pray your strength, blessing, and anointing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.